we are so blessed to have all of these kids um, and to, to see families that are committed to, uh, to raising up their kids um, in the knowledge of our Lord. It is a wonderful thing. We are going to continue our series in 1 Peter. So if you've got your Bibles... You can turn to 1 Peter, and uh, we are looking at chapter 3, and starting at verse 13 and going to verse 17. It is, uh, it's been so good to be going through this letter that Peter wrote um, to a people who were... um, experiencing persecution, we're facing uh, problems and, and, and uh, uh, chaos and, and attacks and, and um, uh, being maligned and, and all of the rest of that. And to, to hear from Peter his instructions of how to live in the midst of that. And this letter, I think, is, is, um, has always had power in, in the life of a Christian. But for us here in, in this part of the world, um, I think we are starting to have a better understanding of what Peter was speaking to and, and who he was speaking about and how we can live our lives uh, more in line with Christ. Peter was not himself a stranger to persecution, to problems, to attacks. So when he speaks to us, it's not out of some theoretical, hypothetical um, position, but he is speaking directly to where we are at. Um, He is speaking out, out of his own experience of how Christ changes the way that we look at circumstances and situations around us and how we can respond in light of walking with the Good Shepherd. So here in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3 and, and starting at verse 13. He just finished last week. He was uh, quoting from Psalm 34, whoever desires to love life and see good dame, good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from seeing de- deceit. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then in verse 13 he says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness, and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, 
those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Suffer for righteousness' sake, and you will be blessed. Last week we were looking at uh, the passage where Peter was saying that, uh, that we shouldn't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. And that was a Greek word that, was, uh, that, that, that is elegantes, which is where we get uh, eulogy. It's, it's, it's speaking good words. It is speaking out a blessing on other people. And so instead of receiving that and, and, and responding in, in kind with evil and reviling, God calls us to bless. This here in verse 13, no, not verse 13, verse 14. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. This is a different Greek word. This is the Greek word that, that is common in, in, uh, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are the meek. That, that, this blessed Markarios gives the, the, the understanding of uh, happiness. And not just that shallow happiness, but is actually experiencing the presence of God, the goodness of God, being complete in everything that you are. When you suffer for righteousness, you will be complete. You will experience the presence of God. I don't know that we have the right understanding of suffering these days. So often... uh, well, no. I don't have the right understanding of suffering. I do not see suffering as a blessing. I do not experience when people are throwing their criticisms and critiques and, and, and attacks on me that somehow this is a blessing. And yet, that's what Peter is saying. He is speaking into a community that is experiencing suffering. This is, again, not a hypothetical situation that Peter is writing into. These people are losing their jobs. These people are being kicked out of their families, ostracized from from their social circles. These people are experiencing physical attacks against them. There is nothing hypothetical about what Peter is writing here. And yet he's telling them that that all of those things that you're experiencing are a blessing. Reminds me of how Peter reacted. Peter and the other apostles 
reacted when they were persecuted, when, we, when recorded in Acts chapter 5, where they were taken before the Sanhedrin because they were preaching about Jesus in the, in the temple courts and in the city streets. And the religious elite and the, uh, the civil authorities brought them into uh, the, the chambers of the, of, the, uh, of the ruling class of the courts of that day in the Sanhedrin. And they said, you must not be speaking about this man, Jesus. And they said, we have to. Tell us who, what's better, to follow the rules of men or to follow God? He has called us to preach, and so we do. And they received beating for that. But the Sanhedrin, realizing there was nothing that they could do because these men were speaking right, that, that they would never stop them from continuing to preach the, good, the, the message of Jesus until that message of Jesus, if ever, became empty and faulty. And so they let them go after beating them. And what did the apostles do? They went away rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering for the name, for the name of Jesus. Peter had a very different understanding of suffering than what I do. To see that as something to rejoice about. Now that doesn't mean that Peter went about trying to get persecuted. To going up and poking the bear in order to be able to see if he's asleep or not. But when persecution happened, when suffering occurred in their life, he rejoiced. He saw it as a blessing. He goes even further in verse 17. I don't know if you caught that as we read through that. But listen carefully. He says, For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. What? God's will that I would suffer? And yet... We see that time and time again throughout biblical history, throughout church history, that in those times when the people of God are being attacked, when the people of God are under pressure from outside forces, that they have never been stronger. They have never been able to, to reach into the lives of other people, to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to see other people come to faith in Jesus than in those times of suffering. Jesus himself suffered for doing good and because of that, we have life. So when we suffer sometimes it is god's will and god blesses us we receive happiness 
we receive and enjoy the favor of God. We are made complete in that times of suffering. We need to change our perspective. We need to change our attitudes towards suffering. We've lived in a society for, for a long time that, that, that Christians have, have received very minimal kinds of suffering, but we know that that will not last. And we see around us that that is changing. And we have to recognize that we are going to face more and more suffering and attacks in our lives because of our faith in Jesus. Not just schoolyard name-calling or anything, but serious, serious interventions, incursions into our lives, taking away things that we used to think were just normal, that we won't have access to anymore. That, that, that being able to, to speak the name of Jesus, to be able to proclaim His name, to, uh, to speak His truth is going to become more and more, not just unpopular, but is going to become more and more unaccepted and unacceptable. And as we face that kind of suffering, if we don't change our attitudes around suffering, we will be tempted to compromise in order to avoid that suffering. So how do we do that? How do we change the way that we look at suffering? I think Peter gives us the answer to that question here in verse 15. In your hearts... Regard Christ the Lord as holy. Now when he says holy here, the word that he's using, agios, Greek word, does sometimes it means moral purity. But here in this context, it's not talking about just uh, considering that Jesus is without sin. Uh, this word can also refer to things being set apart for God's purpose. To... To, to transcend and to be higher than the things that are mundane and secular, to be set aside for that perfect purpose, to, to be exalted above all others. That's what Peter is trying to say here, that, that in our hearts, Jesus has to have that first priority in our lives, that he needs to be the most important Motivation for everything that we do and say. That we need to hold Him and understand Him to be that guide, that shepherd, that provider for us. That we would live out His will in the way that He leads and guides us. And, and, and we're not on that on our own. He is there guiding us and leading us into accomplishing His will. When we have Christ in that place in our heart, 
when he is higher than, than those that would cause us fear, that would cause us anxiety and, and persecution. If Christ is more important than those, and we accept that he speaks into every aspect of our lives, and that everything that we are falls behind him, that we are followers of Christ, not just, not just church people, but we are actually following Christ every moment, every day of our lives. then our perspective on suffering will change. Because we will see that even in those difficult times, that He is leading, that He is caring and providing for us, that He is loving us and, and supporting us and encouraging us. In this context, Peter is giving us an imperative to set Christ as the highest place in our lives. It kind of reminds you of that verse, when the, the words of Jesus when he talked with his disciples and said, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and the soul in hell. We should not live our lives trying to conform to those that can hurt us and cause suffering in our lives, but, but we need to live our lives in conformity to the one who holds our eternal destiny in his hands, who has made that possible for us to follow him. And when he is the highest place in your heart, suffering no longer holds its big fear and threat. And we're able to, to respond with joy and thanksgiving because through that suffering we experience his blessing and we see him blessing others through us. And so we need to, to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Do people see you and, and, and see in you hope? When somebody who, who, as they get to know you, as they interact with you, as they watch you in, in, in your day-to-day -day life, is that the question that comes up in their head? Why does that person have such hope? It's pretty hard to give an answer for why we have hope when nobody's asking us why we have hope. When there isn't anything in our lives that is giving them reason to think that we have some kind of different hope than other people in the world would have. When we set Christ and regard Him as holy in our lives, it changes our perspective of suffering, and it gives us hope. And people are going to take notice of that. And they're going to look at your life, and they're going to recognize that there is nothing about your circumstances that gives you reason to have such hope. And yet, there it is.
You have hope. They can see it. It, 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 it emanates out of you. And they're going to want to know why. How can you have hope? Peter's encourage, encouragement here to, uh, to be, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. He isn't, he isn't exclusively, I don't even think primarily, speaking about having a good theologically argued position that you can then share with somebody to let them know for that hope that you have that you should be able to systematically run them through the need for salvation and, and the salvation plan that we have here in Christ Jesus. The answer to our hope is Jesus. That we should be so so fully immersed in his presence, so, so completely aware of his voice and leading and guiding in our lives, that we should be so, so familiar with the words that he speaks. That people will see that and we will just say, it's Jesus. Because he is regarded as holy in my life. And I recognize that everything comes through him, and so I trust him perfectly. Let me tell you about Jesus. That's the answer that you need to be prepared to give. You don't need to be a theologically trained master of divinity or anything like that. You need to know Jesus. You need to walk every moment of every day with Jesus. He needs to be that constant companion in everywhere that you go and in everything that you do. And out of, out of the abundance of that experience with Jesus, you will be able to share the answer of why you have hope. So is Jesus resident in the highest place of honor in your heart? Do all other concerns pale in comparison to Him? Are you secure knowing that even in suffering you will be blessed and you will be a blessing? And you're ready to give that answer. I've been listening to a song this week that, that, that has just captured my, my heart and, and aligned so well with this passage, this encouragement to be ready and prepared to give an answer for the reason. And I wanted to play that here for you this morning. And let me, let me just invite you as the words of this song wash over your heart and your mind, let them shape you.
to prepare you, to, to put Christ in that highest place in your heart so that no matter what happens this week, you're ready to give an answer and you're ready to be a blessing.